0: I'm Sharon Betters, and you're listening to the Help and Hope podcast, produced by Marking Ministries. And it's our vision at Marking to offer help and hope, especially to hurting people. And one of the ways that we do that is to share stories of uh, crises, life crises, in a person's life that is often difficult to talk about. Uh, could be very isolating. And uh, you just need somebody to walk beside you, somebody ahead of you who calls back and encourages you. And today we're tackling that really hard, painful life crisis of a prodigal child. And my guest today is Julie Malone. And I'm so grateful for her willingness to share her story. I know that it is going to encourage you. And even if you don't have a prodigal child, Her story is going to help enable you to come alongside of someone who does, who just needs that encouragement that your presence can give. So Julie, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Before we start, tell us a little bit about your life right now. So
1: my husband, Tim and I have been married for 25 years and we live in Southeastern Pennsylvania. My husband, Tim is the director of family ministries at our church. We have four children. Um, our oldest, Allie, is 22, and she lives in Florida. And we have a 20-year-old who's a junior in college, a 17-year-old who is a senior in high school this year, and our youngest, Aubrey, who is 11, and she is starting in sixth grade. And just something that I love doing is working with my husband, with the teenagers at our church. I've also worked as a school administrator, Christian school administrator, for the last 10 years to 12 years. Um, I've also been a teacher, but this year I'm embarking on a new journey of homeschooling um, our sixth grader. So
0: I'm really looking forward to that. That is a new journey. And I happen to know that you live in a pretty good place for getting help and support for homeschooling. So that's all good news there in these crazy days that we're living in. Well, one of the things that I've thought about a lot, I'm a pastor's wife and um, we share that and you're a wife and a mother and there seems to be a stigma uh, for Christian families when trouble hits, and so why are you willing to share your story? What was it hard for you um, to share your story for the first time?
1: Yes, there is extra pressure I think that goes along with being a wife of a husband in ministry. However, one our church body is so gracious, and and from the beginning of our journey, there were people along the way that embraced us where we were. And knew that perfection is not part of something that happens in this life. we are all broken and we are all sinful. And so when I was asked to formally share my journey at a women's retreat recently, I said I would love to pray about it, but I really didn't need to pray about it because I knew that God uses our stories to be an encouragement to other people who are walking possibly a similar path to us um, and he has been so faithful to us in our journey. It, it was a no-brainer for me to get up and share some of that with the women in our church. And even further now in this opportunity, I have to share it with whoever God intends to use our story with.
0: Well, I know that there are a lot of hurting parents who have prodigal children. And so I know that your transparency is going to be such a gift to them. So let's start at the beginning of your story. Tell us a little bit about your early years and then how you got to this point where you have this family crisis.
1: I grew up in a Christian home. I had a wonderful childhood. I never really knew a day in my life without Jesus in it, which is just a huge blessing. I met my husband and we had four beautiful daughters and I distinctly remember often driving in the car with my husband thinking, I know at some point suffering is going to hit, um, but we just didn't know how or when that would look like. And you know, for us, it didn't come in one big blow as sometimes it does for families. For us, it came more in little bits and pieces as things kind of unraveled in our life. And I kind of like to describe it as the ding of a chisel <laughs> with each um, repeated ding kind of digging a little deeper and the pain growing further in. And a lot of the pain and the suffering and the hardship that we've experienced in our lives surround the story of parenting our oldest daughter, Allie, really through most of her teenage years, kind of up until now. And she's our oldest who is
0: 22. I think that a picture of a ding here and a ding there is one that we can all relate to. What for you was the first sign, the first ding when you knew that something was changing in your family dynamic?
1: When Allie was in seventh grade, that first ding really hit. Um, She was a typical teenager, um, and as she was kind of entering those years where she wanted more control over her life, we struggled with a lot of things parents struggle with. What she should and shouldn't wear, who she can text, dating boys, technology use. And this kind of divide just continued to, to grow as we struggled more and more over these things. So we were struggling with how to parent her through these years, and all the while, she also was dealing with some things that we didn't have full awareness of. There was some bullying going on, she had some depression issues, she had a lot of insecurities, and on the outside, people that knew her at church or at school would say, she is a confident, social, happy-go-lucky young girl, but on the inside, there was a lot of hurt and pain that we really, Hadn't tapped into yet. So there was an evening the summer after her seventh grade year that she and my husband Tim got into an argument over her iPod. We had asked her to give it to us and she refused. And in her response, in a fit of anger, she ran over, pulled a knife um, out of our kitchen block, um, which my husband had to wrestle from her hand, and she ran out the door and down the street. She did come back shortly after, ran into her room, locked the door. We waited a little while and eventually she did open the door and let let us in. And when I went inside to her room, she had written words all over her body, um, her face and her arms in a Sharpie marker, words like ugly and worthless, alone, depressed. And I looked at her arms and both of her arms had been cut up and bloody. Um, She had shredded her skin with a safety pin. And she had been crying, and I just laid and cried with her. I rubbed her back. And that was really the beginning. That was when Tim and I knew suffering had really kind of entered our lives. And this journey of parenthood became really blurry. There was no guidebook for it. There were no black and white answers. And a simple band-aid and a kiss wasn't going to heal the pain that our daughter was experiencing.
0: I'm afraid that you're not unique in your daughter feeling the way that she felt. And I think it's terrifying to parents, because as you said, she seemed fine. But inside, she was carrying all this brokenness and the sadness. But what does she feel about you telling her story? Is it okay for you to share such intimate details about her life?
1: Yes, Allison feels so strongly that she wants her story to be used as an encouragement to someone else. And she's even given me permission to share a lot of the details because she feels that someone might be able to connect to a part of her story and in that connection, find hope to hold on and to keep, to keep going the course she really sees the struggles and the hardships in her journey and in our journey as a family that God has kind of taken them and repurposed them for this purpose. So because of that, she said, go ahead, mom,
0: share away. Well, you must have felt so alone when this happened. I remember walking with a friend through something like this with their daughter, and it was, there was no warning that anything like this was going on did the cutting and the damaging to herself, did that continue? Yes. Yeah, so it
1: did. It continued, um, actually, for many months after that. Thankfully, we were aware, and we knew that Allie needed help. She needed to kind of talk about this pain that she was experiencing. But as a teenager, she was not really interested in the idea of talking about her feelings, um, and definitely not her pain. So that was a huge closed door. But we had a lot of people praying and God works in miraculous ways. And he opened the door for Allie to see a Christian art therapist who was actually able to connect with Allie as she used her drawings and her artwork to begin to unpack some of that pain, which was a great step forward in beginning to get her help. However, although she was making strides in that area our struggles didn't disappear and they actually continued to get harder as we kind of went
0: through time well i think i think you raise a good point that this is not something that's going to be a one and done thing and that has to be really hard for parents it's probably a big adjustment for parents you think you found the answer but it's just the beginning of answers yeah. did you reach out for help right away or did you try to handle this by yourself as a family
1: So we had a great support system. We had trusted friends and mentors that we would go to for advice and help, family members that we opened up with and shared some of the stories so that they could be encouraging us. And those people were really, God used them in our life during these times because they sent us verses and pointed us to truth and God's promises. And those, that support was really foundational for us as we walked this journey.
0: Well, I'm, I'm thinking about, were there any scriptures or special verses? Like you, you mentioned that people sent you verses. Was, was there anything that really stood out that you thought, this is where I'm going? This is my go-to passage now.
1: Yeah. So during that time, I happened to be in a Bible study and God gave me a verse at that time that really became my anchor throughout this whole journey and the verses from Ephesians chapter three verses 20 to 21. And it says this now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So when everything around me just felt like it was beginning to fall apart, God reminded me of who he is, that he would meet me in my right now, and that he was able, and not just able, but able to do immeasurably more, way, way more than I could even begin to ask or imagine. And I really clung to this truth through our entire journey, and I still cling to it today.
0: Well, I know in my own life journey, I've had some pretty tough things happen. And as you know, our 16-year-old son, Mark, and his friend, Kelly, were in a car accident in 1993. And having scriptures like that as your go-to, where you don't know where else to go, but you know that you go there and you cling to it. But having those scriptures doesn't mean that things are going to get better. And for you, things actually got worse. How did you handle that?
1: It was hard. Um, During Allie's eighth grade year, she actually was invited on a church retreat with a friend of hers from her school. So this was a church, not our church. And Tim and I had thought it over, prayed it over, and we said, I think that she could go. Things were so hard. There was so much tension at home. And with her dad being her own youth pastor, we thought, wow, another church's retreat that might give an opportunity for Allie to hear God's word kind of in a different way that God might work in a way to soften her heart. So we, I remember taking her to the church that Friday to drop her off. And I look around this room and there's adults there, but I don't know them and there are teenagers there and I don't know them. And, and I look at my daughter who I knew was struggling so much and it was really hard to entrust her to kind of this room filled with strangers. But as I drove away that day, I remember distinctly praying to the Lord, through some tears, but happy tears, saying, Lord, please use this weekend. Do a great work in Allie's heart. Speak with her, soften her, heart. draw her to you. And I knew down deep inside I had this peace that I wasn't entrusting her to strangers, but I was entrusting her to the Lord. And in that, despite my uneasiness, I knew that I could do that. And I spent that weekend praying that God would just do an amazing work in her life.
0: And what happened? I mean, did something spectacular happen that was a turning point? So
1: although that I had prayed this way and I really trusted and believed that the Lord was going to work, he did not answer my prayer in the way that I thought he would. It was on this church retreat that Allie, eighth grade, had had sex for the very first time. And I can't even explain to you the heartache that I felt when I found out what had happened on that weekend. I remember clearly... The night that Allie and I talked about what had happened, and she explained the details that led up to her decision. And my heart was so broken for her that I knew that this decision she had made would carry so many scars, and so much hurt, and so, many, so much pain. But in addition to the pain I felt for her, I, I struggled in, in communicating my love for her over kind of the disappointment and the pain that I felt. And that was really hard. And then I struggled with the Lord. He, I had entrusted her to him on this weekend and, and trusted that he was going to do a great work. And this is how he answered me, um, by allowing what I felt was a really hard and horrible thing to have happened that would cause Allie so much heartache and pain. And I remember that I had a lot of times of prayer where I just struggled with the Lord and I cried and And I questioned his love for me, his love for Allie, his sovereignty, and his goodness. But you know what's amazing about the Lord is he can take it. As our loving Heavenly Father, he can take our tears and he can take our pounding fists. And his response is to embrace us and to hold us close while we question and while we grieve.
0: I can relate to what you're saying because with our own child, obviously we prayed for him, prayed for Mark, prayed for safety. But And specifically, as he was driving and all of that, but this was not God's plan for us. There was something else that was going on. And as a mother, and you as a mother, I don't think we can ever really grasp the eternal story that the Lord is writing. And we won't really grasp it. We'll get glimpses, as you are getting glimpses, but in heaven is where we're going to see, oh, that's how all the pieces fit together. So how, were there any specific ways that the Lord helped you navigate? Because now I'm seeing you as a brokenhearted mother, but the one that you are running to for stability seems to have left the building. How did the Lord help you to navigate that? uh, Really, I imagine a very scary time.
1: So there were two big ways that I felt God really speak to my broken heart at that time. And one was a conversation with a really dear mentor and friend that I had and it was just a day or so after I found out what had happened, and I can clearly remember her wise words to me. She said, "Julie, have you considered that God is after something much greater in Allie's life than her virginity? God is in pursuit of her heart." And maybe this is something he's going to use to draw Allie closer to himself. And that statement and that perspective really turned things around for me. It helped me to see this painful and difficult time from a different perspective that as parents, I think so often we just want to protect. We want to protect our kids from pain and hardship and suffering. And yet, we have to know and trust that God is going to use that pain and use that suffering to draw us closer to him. And I realized too, God isn't surprised by any of this. He's not surprised by our sin or our brokenness, but that he actually uses that for our good and his glory. And so I was still heartbroken and dealing with a lot, but I began to really realize God was after something much bigger here than the circumstances of her purity or her virginity. That God in his sovereign love allowed something horrible and hard to happen on that weekend for his greater purpose. I realized he's still in the process of writing Allie's story and he's still in the process of writing ours. And I can trust him that somehow he's gonna use this hard circumstance for good in his life. And I rested back in the truth of that verse. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be the glory.
0: You're describing one of those holy moments that carry us through, kind of break the ache in our chest sometimes. But Mm -hmm. did things get better after that? I mean, did Allie have this revelation that, okay, I get it now, um, or did things get worse?
1: Yes. So while some days Allie seemed to be doing a little bit better, other days we would discover kind of another lie or poor decision that she had made. So the struggle really was continuing. Near the end of Allie's freshman year of high school, we had discovered that she had used marijuana for the very first time. And although we had faced a lot of hard days already, little did we know that the hard days were about to get harder. Because of the incident with the marijuana, Allie ended up getting expelled from school at the end of her freshman year. And most of our conversations with Allie at that time were really hard. Um, She was putting up a huge wall between us and herself, and she lied more and more frequently about things. She was really pulling inside of herself, and we didn't really know what to do to stop this slipping away that we felt was happening. So we tried some things. We pulled her out of school, thought giving her a break from the social scene there might be good for her. We did online school for a year. We found an incredible counselor about an hour or so from our house, and we committed to driving her down every week um, to spend time with this counselor. And Allie would agree with us that that time with that counselor was invaluable, and she really was beginning to unpack more things that she was struggling with, and, and she helped us navigate a lot of circumstances. But at the same time, it really wasn't enough to change the direction that Allie's heart was headed in. And drugs were a big part of that. And they continued to slowly take a more prominent place in Allie's life.
0: I can, again, can only imagine how heartbroken you were and not able to hold her from sliding it down to an abyss of despair. I mean, for your own sake, you're in despair, probably, leaning on the Lord. But then how do you help Allie from going even further I'm assuming that depression was a big part of what she was experiencing. How far did that go with her?
1: So depression definitely was a huge part of everything that she was experiencing and the choices that she was making. We allowed her to return to her high school for her junior year. While we knew she was still struggling, things were a little bit better. But the depression continued to, to grow in her. And she had begun to really have moments where she would break down in despair and, and talk about how she wished she had never been born, that everyone would be better off um, without her, and that while she really didn't want to take her own life, she did simply wish she could disappear. As her parents, these were really hard things to hear our daughter say, because obviously we, we love her and we know there's so much purpose for her life but she was really struggling. And that Christmas, immediately after Christmas that year, we had to admit her into a mental health hospital because she had actually begun to contemplate ways to take her life. While her experience at the mental health hospital was helpful and she learned some coping strategies and she came out with some tools in her toolbox, her struggle was still there and it hadn't gone away yet. And as her mom walking through this, you know, I still clung to my verse. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. As we kind of continued on our journey, Allie continued to form kind of her own life values and her lifestyle choices. And she made it very clear she did not want to embrace ours. She was really hard pressed to do whatever it was she wanted to do. So that led to a lot of lying to us as her parents, sneaking out of our house at night, breaking through any boundary or rule that we put up. And, you know, the decisions that she was making were not just hurting Tim and I, but they were really hurting her relationships with her siblings. We have four daughters and her sister, Anna, is only 21 months apart from her in age. And they shared a room and the impact of Allie's choices really hurt Anna deeply, especially because she saw firsthand a lot of these destructive choices Allie was making. And often had to either cover for her or tell on her. And that's a really hard place for a sibling to be. So not only were we breaking apart, but I felt like our whole family was being pulled apart by um, the decisions and the choices that Allie was making. And things continued to get worse as Allie went from smoking marijuana with her friends, and it was an occasional social thing, to becoming a daily habit where she was smoking every day and we would find that she was smoking in the house. And when we would confront her, her response about her marijuana use was always this. Marijuana is not a gateway drug. I can handle it. Everyone is doing it. It's not a big deal. Um, Well, despite that response from her, as the weeks and the months wore on, we really began to see drugs take a hold of our alley and steal them, really steal her away from us. And again, we tried a drug counselor and we drug tested her at home and set up rules and boundaries. But in the end, Allie was the only one who could decide to stop using and she didn't. In December of her senior year, she ended up getting expelled from school again. She had gone to school high and this time the police were involved. She was charged and had to um, go to court. So the, the seriousness and intensity with which the consequences were happening It was just growing, and I was really, as a mom, starting to feel a bit hopeless that things would ever turn around for our
0: daughter. That's what I'm thinking as you're talking and sharing this. I just feel like it's almost like a sledgehammer just coming down on you over and over and over again, and you're not able to catch a breath in between each one of those, not dings, but pounding How was the Lord close to you during that time? Because you have this promise that He's going to do more than you can even imagine, and yet it doesn't feel like He's doing anything for Allie. How did you continue to walk by faith, even in the middle of all of this darkness and despair? You know, there were so
1: many little things, little moments that God gave me and my husband along the way that encouraged our hearts. One of the really special times was um, that December when things were really, really hard. We were reading a family devotional by Ann Camp called Unwrapping the Greatest Gifts. And on December 19th, the passage was from the book of Habakkuk. And in this passage, it talks about how bad things were at that time for God's people. Habakkuk was crying out to God for answers as he wondered why God would allow things to unfold the way they were happening. Things looked very bleak and hopeless. And what does Habakkuk do? But he climbs up to his watchtower. And there he says, I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer me. And I love this because I could could relate so much to what was happening in Habakkuk's story. Because Habakkuk paints a picture of what trusting God in the midst of the struggle looks like. He says, Even if the figs have no blossoms, if there are no grapes on the vine, if the olive crops are failing, and if the barns and fields are empty. And as I looked at my life, that is how I felt. Things were broken and falling apart and feeling very hopeless. But Habakkuk says, even then, I will rejoice and trust in the Lord. When everything around him looked broken in the face of circumstances that appeared hopeless and hard. Habakkuk chose to trust God. And so that day, I too clung to that. And even though my life seemed hopeless and hard, and when I looked out at our circumstances with Allie and I didn't understand why God wasn't intervening, and as I trusted in our God who is able, but he wasn't moving and he wasn't working, I trusted that God would keep his promises and he would show up. And I climbed my watchtower and I said, I will sit and I will trust and I will wait for the Lord to do a work. And that was huge and really encouraged my heart through that time.
0: Julie, that is such a beautiful picture of what it means to wait on the Lord and to watch. But, you know, I would think, okay, God, you're going to do something now. But we would not interpret what happened next as him doing something remarkable. Why don't you tell us about that?
1: About two months after the expulsion, Allie had actually moved out of our house. And so she was kind of on her own, living with different friends. I received a phone call that no mom ever wants to get. Allie had swallowed a bottle of pills. The hopelessness that she had been struggling with had really taken over. And she made an attempt to end her life. I rushed to the hospital. Thankfully, she was okay. But she cried and I cried with her. It was a really, really hard day that day that just realizing the depth of the pain had taken her to actually take a step in that direction. But I really believe that God used that point to begin to turn things around for Allie. From the hospital that day, she did not have a choice. She had to go to yet another mental health hospital. And this time, because she was over 18, she had to go on her own. I couldn't take her in to the building to check her in. And that was really hard. She was very fragile and and very sad. And I was scared. She was scared. But even as we left her at the hospital that night, knowing she would be there for a week or longer, that God would, we really trusted that God would even use the hardship of that hospital stay to continue to, to write his bigger story and to use that hardship to draw her heart to him. And through that experience at that hospital, she became ready to go to rehab. She knew she had to make a choice between using drugs and being with her family. And although it was really a baby step because she wasn't fully committed to the idea of not using drugs ever again, She missed her family so much that she was willing to take that step. So really from there, she went into rehab, not too far from our house. It was about an hour away as she was in rehab there for just a couple of weeks. We were so encouraged because we saw baby steps of change happening in Allie's life. She was in rehab. She ended up moving into a sober living house and she got a job. Unfortunately, very Quickly, she decided she was ready to move out on her own, out of the sober living, and she relapsed within days. This time, she tried more drugs of different types. There were a lot of scary nights during that time when she had relapsed because we didn't know if she was okay. We didn't know who she was with. We didn't know if she was safe or sometimes if she was even alive. It was really a hard, hard time. Then late one night, we received a call from her counselor who had just spoken with Allie and called us immediately because she was very concerned. And she felt that Allie was not in a good state of mind, that she had been using drugs and that she was in danger. And so we called the police who ended up finding her walking along a busy highway near where she was living at the time. They took her to the emergency room and we met her there. And that night was probably one of the hardest nights, again, of our journey As I walked into this hospital room in the emergency room, it was completely bare. And there was Allie Lane in a bed with a thin blanket pulled around her very thin body. Her eyes were very distant and vacant. And the only thing she said to me is, why are you here? And that was really hard that night. But God is so good because through that night, of hours just sitting with her in the emergency room, she spoke a lot of her pain and how she felt she couldn't get away from the pain, that the pain was there and she was a coward and she had tried to stay clean, but she didn't have the strength to do it. But then she spoke of God and she said, you know, everyone I know who has God in their life is in a good place and that's where I want to be. But she said, mom, I don't want him controlling me, so I keep running away from God. I keep running. But she said, you know what, Mom? He keeps chasing me, and I hope he keeps chasing me because I'm not going to stop running. And so although my heart was broken that night, and it was really hard to see my daughter in that state, I was so encouraged that Allie's roots were holding strong, and that this God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine he was pursuing her. He was chasing her down and his unconditional, relentless love was pursuing her and she knew it. And that gave me hope that night, which was huge in our journey. After that night in the emergency room, she had to go back again to another mental health hospital. And from there, she went back into rehab, but this time she wasn't committed to the idea. Rehab was simply her ticket out of the mental health hospital She was a mess. Um, She was not in a good state of mind. She only stayed at the rehab probably two, two nights, maybe. She ended up leaving after her therapist there and a phone call to us. And we had really pleaded with her to stay at rehab. She walked out and she was on her own literally for several weeks. We had no idea where she was or who she was with. We would text her every now and then just to get a response to know that she was okay and she was alive. And those were honestly some of the scariest um, days of our journey with Allie. And even though I couldn't be with her and I didn't know where she was, I continued to trust that the Lord who, who is everywhere was with our Allie and he was watching over her and protecting her. And he ended up bringing her back home one night. Um, And she was a mess. She had definitely been using a couple of different drugs. And she had only stopped home to pack a bag to journey on to somewhere, other destination. But we were able to talk her into staying at home, spending the night. She hadn't slept in days. She hadn't eaten in days. So that night, she slept in her bed. And I I slept with her because I was just fearful. I was fearful she would leave in the middle of the night or something worse would happen. And the next morning she was a little more clear-minded and said, okay, I will go back to rehab. However, when we called the rehab that she had left, they said, she can't come back. (laughs) And as a parent, I thought, what? You need to take her back. She needs to go somewhere today. So that was perplexing. But as we continued to talk to them, they said, she cannot come back here, but we have a sister site in Palm Beach, Florida. That she can go to. So, Tim and I had a really big decision to make that day. Would we send our daughter, very fragile, very young, to Florida, so far away from home here in Pennsylvania? Who would rescue her? What if she walked out of rehab in Florida? Who would take care of her? We couldn't be there with her. But we also knew from her journey that she had taken already that maybe far away was going to be best. And that she really wasn't going alone, but God was going with her. So we bought a one-way ticket. And the very next day, we put her on a plane for Florida. And again, I wanted to walk that path with her. I wanted to hold her hand on the airplane. I wanted to help fix this. But I knew this was something Allie had to do on her own. And yet, as we drove away from the airport with tears in my eyes, I knew that God would be with her with his overwhelming, unbelievable love that he has for her
0: and me. How long ago was that when you put her on that plane? Three years ago, this weekend. And so, what has happened in those three years?
1: Amazing things really have happened in Allie's life. The first few weeks that Allie was in Florida were really, really hard. We had a lot of really hard parenting decisions to make. She didn't want to be there right away. But little by little, we saw the chains begin to slowly fall away. And we like to say we saw the sparkle return to Allie's eyes. We saw her have hope again. And Allie actually began to surrender control to the Lord, which was huge because that was something she didn't want to give up was control. And she began to surrender that control to God and invited him into her heart and in her life. She committed herself to recovery while she was there. And she became a part of the AA program, which is Alcoholics Anonymous.
0: It's an amazing story of heartache and despair and holding on to hope when there seems to be no hope. And As we're wrapping up, Julie, uh, I'm thinking about those who are listening, who are shaking their heads at your journey because they have probably walked almost identical steps as you, Mm -hmm. Uh, hope, hope dashed, hope again, hope dashed, three steps forward, two steps backward. As we wrap up our time with each other, speak to that parent who right now is despairing and you know exactly what he or she is feeling what encouragement could you give to that, uh, that mother or father?
1: I think there's a few things I would say. I would say first, it's okay to cry. <laughs> it's okay to feel that hurt and that pain and that disappointment over the brokenness that your child is experiencing and that you're experiencing. And scripture tells us God is close to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. And that verse was a balm to us as we walked our journey and to be encouraged by that, that it's okay to feel the brokenness of it and to let God comfort you in that brokenness. Second, I would say, remember. Remember who God is. Remember His promises to you. Surround yourself with those promises because His truth is the anchor that is going to hold you as the circumstances are gonna cause you to tumble. Our circumstances as we walk the path with our children, when we want so desperately to control them and we can't, tend to to undo us. And God's promises keep bringing us back. They are your rock. And last, I would say, keep moving towards your child. Keep building that relationship with him or her. And that was something that. Throughout our journey with Allie, we made a point to take her to Starbucks for a drink or take her out to lunch so that we could keep that relationship with her and let her know that no matter what, we loved her and we were here as her supporters and her encouragers. And having that relationship allowed us to continue to speak into her life during those hard times. And that relationship is so strong today, I think, because we continue to pursue her even when those times were
0: really hard. That Those are great encouragement treasures, practical things that you can do if you are one of those heartbroken parents who is waiting, is in the watchtower, waiting to see what God is going to do. And I'm so grateful, Julie, for you and for Allie and for your family and your desire for good to come from Allie's story, and I have no doubt it already has. If you have been blessed and encouraged by Julie's story, I hope that you will visit markinc.org, that's M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org, where you're going to find lots more stories like Julie's, where we deal with some of the most difficult, painful crises that we can experience. Uh, Some of the topics are sexual abuse, trafficking, grief, terminal illness, and just so many more. That's markinc.org. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for joining us today.